Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is not an everyday folk. It's somebody very dear to my heart, my teacher, Dr. Johnny Gray. And today we're talking about meditation, channeling, and working with your intuition. I connected with Johnny over the telephone. She was at home on the Sunshine Coast. So Johnny, you're a transpersonal psychologist with nearly three decades experience as a spiritual counselor and a teacher and a coach. And meditation is a fundamental part of your practice. And I'm curious if it's possible for a person to connect with their soul or intuition or, you know, experience the full range of spiritual life without meditation. Because, of course, people say so often, well, I don't have time or I can't focus or or that sort of thing. Do you think it's possible to have a rich spiritual life without meditation? Oh, great question. And wouldn't it be easier if we didn't, if we could bypass that altogether You know, think of it, Carmen, like people can be thin and fit and they don't exercise or they eat junk food all day. So some people have certain genes, if you will, that can physically give them a heads up and others aren't. They're born with certain genes that they just have to work their buns off or they have to be vigilant in what they eat. Now that's taking it physically. So now energetically, connecting with the divine, connecting with spirit, connecting with the greater reality, we make that connection in many ways. We call it meditation, and there's formal and informal aspects of meditation, but truly it is moving outside of ourself, and we can do that. We do that on vacation. We do that when we are around the four elements, the sun, the, the, the heat, of course, the air, the water, the earth, when we are outdoors in the elements and we are what we would say present, being very, very present, we can engage with the sunshine or the water or the sand at the beach or the rocks on the mountain and we can connect to something outside of ourselves. So we are having spiritual encounters And that's not what we would call formal meditation. But the formal meditation practice is truly putting a sacred intention where you are closing down the external, what might we call, distractions, you know, turning off your phone and um, presenting your body in a relaxed way and, and moving inward rather than outward. But again, not moving into self moving into what we might say beyond just the self, beyond just the ego. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the idea of having formal meditation or informal meditation, perhaps through movement or connecting with nature, is really intriguing, I think, because I don't think a lot of people would consider that when they are running, uh, they're meditating. You know, But I often think of it as it's sort of like any time you're in the zone, 
and time yeah. starts to get nebulous, that that is a form of meditation. Would you say that? Well, when you say the zone, yes. I, I can feel myself going, yes, there's a zone we get into. But people will confuse reflecting on something as meditation. They get the words confused, and, of course, they're being the concept confused. Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh, I meditated on that which means they just reflected on it. They thought about it. They took time to think about it. That's not meditation. So it's not about what we're doing if we're sitting still with our legs crossed or we are out in nature or we're going for a jog or a swim. It's not about what we're doing. It's how we are doing uh, our connection to something outside of ourselves. Are we thinking? Are we in our brain thinking? Or are we in that stillness even if our body's moving, are we in the zone of stillness and open? So the guard is down and our vulnerability, our beautiful vulnerability is open. We're not thinking, we're not reflecting, we're not contemplating our navel, we're not going over anything in our mind, in our brain actually. There's definitely a difference, as you well know. But we're not using those aspects of the brain. Some people might say they're waiting but I would say it's far more active than that. I would say it's engaging with the zone, engaging with the energy field, that kind of buzzing, humming, uh, energetic feel that we have. And it's not physical, so it's not like it's in the body, and it's, but it's part of the body. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's so interesting what you talked about, where, you know, the different language that we use around meditation. Um, I've been uh, attending Quaker meetings for a few years now, and uh, when Quakers come together for a meeting, it's a silent meeting, and they don't call it meditation. They call it expectant waiting. So you're waiting to hear, and they, they call it listening. You know, you're hearing to see uh, or hearing to understand what of God or the divine or whatever you want to call it uh, is within you that wants to be heard, what message is there. And, of course, you know, even within that one narrow slice of spiritual experience, Quakers, there are some who are totally... Um, uh, humanist. They don't believe they're, you know, they're atheists. The Quakers aren't even bound by a, a set of dogma. They're bound by um, a, a practice, which is coming together in expectant waiting. And so I'm interested in this notion and explore it myself a lot because the first time I came to see you years ago, I remember you explaining the difference to me between modern and ancient meditation. I wonder if mm. you could talk about that because for some, meditation is a complete emptying of the mind. And for others, meditation can include, uh, you know, visions or journeying or that sort of thing. So could you talk a little bit about that difference between modern and ancient meditation? Absolutely. Thank you for, yeah, even remembering that. That was a, that was a long time ago. We go back. I love <laughs> I that. Um, very endearing. Uh, I would classify, and I'm not the only one classifying them, for example. You, you could probably do some Google searches and come up with a lot of good information. But the ancient forms of meditation, which were brought in by various cultures, were predominantly for men, because those were the times they were living. So these are thousands of years old. They were predominantly for men. 
the vibrations, the energy, the intention of them were to help the men remove themselves from physical, material, sexual, familial life. So, as I said, the, the vibrations, the tone, the chanting, the mantras were very much in line with what their intention was back then because they uh, did not believe that meditation was for the everyman, was an everyday practice for the everyman. It was sacred, and only those who were going to be full-time messengers of God or messengers of Allah or messengers uh, of the higher spirit were meditating. And so their, their... Creation was to fine-tune those men in that practice. So when we take on something that was thousands of years old today, we are getting a distortion of messaging for ourselves. If we took on anything that was meant for thousands of years ago, it's going to be in many ways outdated. We have understood and modernized, meaning we have adapted to our current Uh, understanding of technology, understanding of brainwave levels, understanding of how we operate as human beings. We are in a different century. We are very fine-tuned to uh, empowering everyone, everybody, not just the elite or a few. And so we have practices that bring all that into consideration. Meditation can be for children, for women, for, um, as you said, uh, forms that are uh, done in movement, forms that are done in stillness. Um, There is a difference between what I might uh, call hypnosis, self-hypnosis, guided visualizations, and meditation. And the, the, the three versions of hypnosis, I've said, are not meditation. So it's not that that's modernized versions of meditation. They aren't meditation. They are trying to put something inside the thoughts, inside the brain, rather than the purity of what meditation truly is, which is connecting to spirit. So as you said with your beautiful example, it's actively listening for, waiting for, open for, rather than putting something in, you are open to receive what comes in through you. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the modern meditations that I would say that I'm a proponent of are certainly there's voice with it. My voice is there, but they are um, channeled messages that are connecting. Uh, I would say they're kind of holding hands with the individual who's doing it, energetically holding their hand, holding their lower self hand, and helping them to integrate, helping them to matchmake up to their higher self. They're very, uh, they're not guiding them anywhere. They're not contrived in that fashion. They are inspiring the um, uh, experience that their soul has as an offering for them. Mm -hmm. So I'm simply putting words to what is there rather than um, sort of reading a script and saying, go to your happy place, now go here (laughs) and now do this. Yeah, that's all valid. You know, I studied hypnotherapy years ago, all very, very valid. It's just not meditation. 
Right. Absolutely. Yes, I agree 100 percent. So you've been a long time meditator and I'm curious because you do channel and you do connect the, the lower self with the higher self as you describe it for your clients. When did your meditation begin to shift from, you know, journeying and connecting with yourself to channeling some other divine presence? So you're saying my meditations or what I'm doing for people? What um, Your I'm own. Quite... I'm curious about your own as a mm. practitioner. Like what, what did that feel like as it was evol- evolving from you connecting with your higher self to connecting with something that then wanted to come through you? These are great questions. Good for you, Carmen. Um, You're really trying to get in there, I can see, and, (laughs) you know, pull apart the threads of the tapestry. What's making it all come together? I love it. Yeah, good questions. Um, Because um, of the circumstances that I was raised with in this lifetime, you know, obviously the choice pre-incarnate, um, I moved away from humans. Humans did not represent safety and security, um, especially parental. Um, and so I moved into nature. Uh, I moved into animals. I moved into being um, with the mountains, with the trees, with the wide open spaces. So I was not hiding as some children can Um, move into as a form of defense or protection, I actually became more vulnerable and went out and explored uh, and trusted, learned to trust, learned to, that there was a greater reality than just the human interactions that were happening in the daily world. So because of the early imprints that I was then opening to, um, I, I, began downloading uh, very quickly at a very early age full memories, full past life memories, greater understandings of uh, that would help me. Not that I was asking, why am I uh, unique in this situation or why am I different? Children don't recognize that they're different, so I wasn't asking those questions. In hindsight, I can see that I was simply open to being shown more than more than simply this condition. Mm-hmm. And th- through the energy, the ancient energy that the air has, that the water has, the trees have, I could touch, I remember very clearly, touch the bark of a tree and just put my cheek next to a tree and climb the tree, wrapping my little legs around the limbs and I could stay up in the tree for hours and hours. The trees were home. They were family. They felt like what we would probably think of as big brothers to me. And so it was through the uh, engagement, the complete vulnerable opening um, of, these, uh, of these elements on the planet that I was able to begin to unfold what we were calling channeling. I was channeling through the openings that these elements were giving me. It was, it was uh, happening all the time. The discord would come when I was back with humans again, mm-hmm. because as we, you know, a- as you and I were speaking earlier, 
when we are in physical presence with humans, sometimes the energetics can get very diluted, very distracted. And so it would close down to a significant degree when I was around human beings again. Okay? Mm -hmm. So then I would crave meditating. Mm -hmm. That's what that was. I would crave being with nature, being vulnerable. Truly, it felt like standing naked under the light of God. There was nothing to hide. There was no um, conditions the way there are with human beings. This was completely unconditional. And I would be outdoors in nature in the middle of the night under the stars because there was no you know, there was no conscious care of the children in the household. So I had, you know, it was a bit feral in that regard. I could do what I wanted when I wanted. There was a freedom aspect that I found in having this form of neglect. And so it was always there. It's, it's only as one gets older, in my case, getting older, you uh, start putting the understanding, the intellectual pieces together you know, you read the books that people write, thank goodness people write books, and you find yourself in their story. That happened to me. Oh, that's, oh my goodness. And it gives it a name and it gives it a voice and you have the terminology and the understanding. Does that answer that a little bit better, the history of it? Absolutely. And I'm curious then about what might have been happening for you physically as you were opening up to the elements of nature and you started to sort of channel through that energy and messages, was anything happening in your body that looking back you can identify? And I, I ask this because I'm remembering now uh, yeah. being in the practicum for regression when I was just completing my practicum with you. And I remember I was the um, you know, I was the subject. So I was in the chair and another uh, student was uh, taking me into regression. And I remember saying, as I was sort of just going into state going, uh, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have to stop. I feel seasick. I feel nauseous. My stomach is lurching. And I heard you lean over to her and whisper, don't worry, keep going. She does that every time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having that moment of going, wait a second, that does happen to me every time. And then it just goes away. And, and it also took me a long time when I was doing intuitive readings for people to recognize that I would always start and go, oh, God, I've got a headache. I can feel it right in, in my brow. There's so much pressure. I don't know if I'm going to do a good reading today. And then, of course, I do a phenomenal reading. And I realized yeah. that actually that was my physical cue that it's working it's happening and but it literally it took me about two years to recognize that so as a child you know did you recognize anything any signals or clues that now you recognize as your your symptom or your signal or clue that you are having a sacred experience great story Carmen you know um, when we get out of this linear uh, three-dimensional reality. So when we are expanding into the greater reality, whether we're looking for other memories, we are interdimensionally traveling. So we are going beyond space. This space, we are going beyond time. We are moving in the higher dimensions. It's nonlinear. And so the body uh, would resist at first. The brain might resist at first brain's part of the body here, I'm connecting them up, because it's 
like, I don't have a seatbelt on. Hang on. I don't know where I'm going. It's a roller coaster ride. It's actually in sacred geometry, we will know the spiral. And it, it actually is a spiraling feeling, uh, a churning around, a um, think of uh, whirling dervishes, you know, think of the need to uh, bring, uh, uh, cooperate with the energy. Uh, to cooperate with the water going down the drain as it starts making its spiral, the energy as it's coming down the funnel, down the pike. When we um, uh, revolve the body around, we are working with it. Rather than keeping it completely still, then the movement's going on inside, and yes, it's going on inside, but it's... um, it's counteracted by the fact that you might be uh, not accepting it, not going with it. Mm. So as because this happened to me as a child, the experiences that I was talking about, my body was wide open. Mm. I was not having any resistance. I truly felt like I was naked. I wasn't. I was always barefoot, I recall. <laughs> so there was definitely that. doesn't matter what season it was. Um, so there was definitely a vulnerability of body anyway, but um, I would sway with it. The wind would blow sway with it. I would watch, and I've written about this in previous um, uh, writing pieces, I, I used to watch the clothesline, we had a long clothesline, watch the sheets flapping in the wind, watch the tops of the trees, and I remember knowing that they got it, that they didn't resist, the energy, the current, the flow. In fact, they went with it. So the wind blew through the sheets, which is how they would dry. The wind blew the tops of the trees so they weren't rigid and going to break. Mm. It was a yielding to it, a swaying with it. So I learned that in an early age, and so there was no... I still don't have any physical reactions that um, turn my stomach or cause a headache or there's no blockage there because it was far more organic for me. I was, I was connecting with what it truly is at that level. Right. Okay. Does that give you a little perfect sense? Yes. Yes. Makes perfect sense. Okay. So one thing that uh, I have found as a, a, a seeker who has recognized that my own uh, intuitive knowing has connected up with a a divine mind, let's say, I can sort of, you know, hook in and suddenly greater messages are coming through and these channeled messages come. And, you know, as you try to learn more about that, well, how do I work with that? And what happens? One thing I've noticed is there's a, you know, a human tendency to begin to set up a hierarchy of the realms. Like when you connect with the spiritual, there are many, many teachers who have their own kind of structure of how the universe works. And there are different paths around that. I'm thinking of theosophy or the I am ascension movement, you know, capital I, capital A, capital M. And when I've had my own experience and none of my clients have ever, you know, spontaneously gone in and said like, oh, I'm in the sixth ray now or anything like that, you know? And and so <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about your view on that as a very experienced meditator, journeyer, channeler. What do you think about traditions that set up a hierarchy of the spiritual realms? 
Oh, these are great questions. Um, and taking all of those uh, titles, if you will, that you've given me into consideration makes a difference. Mm. Um, I'm not a hierarchical person in the spiritual realm. Uh, however, I certainly channel a lot of that hierarchical information. Mm. And yes, some of my clients will tell me, ah, they're in the seventh ray now, or they're in the sixth level, or they're in the fifth realm. So I do get the clients who will go there, and it's probably because my um, energetics are there as well, so there's a receptivity for having it happen. Mm. Having said that, it's um, it confuses people more than anything, which is why I say I'm not an advocate of it, because we have such a linear concept. Uh, we put everything in a linear, measurable chart as human beings. You know, we go through the grades of school from 1 to 12, and we have the, you know, the titles in our work or working for the military, or we have the status titles. So we put everything in such a hierarchical system that we assume that this is very masculine, measurable, um, next level, non-physical realm as well will be very similar to it. What I can tell you is that it is and it isn't. <laughs> it's not, it, there's not just an easy answer. It, it, in the non-physical realm, it is um, similar to the physical realm and not similar. So it's similar in the way that we are still, we, we have a lot more insight. We have obviously no physical and emotional um, blockages or hindrances. We have a lot more understanding. Our consciousness is at a much greater capacity. We are still, though, working through the next levels and the next levels of consciousness, which doesn't always mean understanding. I would you know, for the layman, define consciousness as understanding and awareness sort of combined, the understanding of awareness, if you will. So there's always those realms or levels or layers of understanding that. That's what's, you know, in common. There's also, uh, there's work in non-physical realms as well. When we're non-physical, when we're in between lifetimes, if you will, we're only in physical form on the earth for very, if you will, short amount of time, quote-unquote. It's, it's, uh, it's not the priority place. It's not the dominant place. We are non-physical much more than we are ever physical. Mm -hmm. So when we come to the Earth, we come to other planets, of course, but when we come to the Earth, we are wanting to be physical and emotional. Earth is the, the planet that deals with emotions. So when we incarnate on the Earth, we're choosing to experience emotions not to deny them, not to simply follow them, but to understand them, to become more conscious of them, to work with them, to enjoy them, to use them for our benefits. And so these kind of things are very uh, instrumental to the physical experience on the earth. They're not measurable. We can say, you know, there's more developed emotionally, someone's more emotionally mature, but there's not really a measurement to that per se. There's not levels, layers. So in the non-physical realm, we don't work on emotions. We don't work on physical. So it doesn't matter what your blood pressure is. It doesn't matter how much you weigh anymore. You know, it doesn't matter. Those things aren't what we are working on, but we still are doing 
a different kind of work. We are doing more work. And yes, there are levels to that. But again, just like emotional work on the planet, it's relatively non-measurable. Mm-hmm. Now, could, could we say that there are different stages of it? Yes. There are, there are those who are in service to the planet when they are in the non-physical realm. And there are those who are in service in different ways to the planet. There are those in the non-physical realm who are spiritual guides for those on the planet. And there are those in the non-physical realm who are really roaming around and getting their bearings for what may seem like eons before they incarnate again. So they're not doing any of those other two things. And those are just a few brief examples of some of the the work, the jobs that happen in the non-physical realm. So that's why I said it's sort of a yes and no. There are still levels and layers, but I wouldn't be putting it in any real organized way, the way our, our human mind loves to do. Thank you. That was a fantastic answer. If somebody came to you wanting to learn how to channel specifically, and let's say they're, you know, they're an experienced meditator, an experienced seeker, and they want to uh, uh, experience what it's like to channel and learn that. What would you advise as the top two or three things they ought to know as they set out on that path? All right. So you've set up that they are already an experienced meditator, meaning that they, because that would be the first thing, mm. that they are already connecting to spirit. They're having formal connection to, and when I say spirit, I mean the spirit of everything, mm-hmm. the energy, the essence, the greater reality. If they are making daily connection to that, I will tell you it's rare that they say to me, okay, I'd like to channel now, because one leads to the other organically. Mm. Ah, so when they are um, meditating every day, and they say to me, if, if, they, if I never knew them and they were doing their own meditations in another way, and they said to me, I'd like to learn how to channel, I would say to them, could we do meditations together for a while? Could I give you some of my divine message channelings, you know, these, these um, meditations that are, that are soul to soul? Could I give these to you for a while? Because they will connect you up to the source of who you are, in your beautiful divine power, and you will get that relationship established at another level. And as I said, that will organically lead to channeling. Because the first level of channeling is channeling our higher self. Mm. So we're not, it's not about channeling guides per se, um, channeling, um, you know, who is it we're channeling. Um, Channeling is connecting with uh, the energy of of the non-physical realm, mm-hmm. okay, as a quick description. And so connecting, uh, there's so much in the non-physical realm. There are people who channel, and what they're channeling isn't necessarily uh, a high or, or regarded source of inspiration or information. We can, it would be like asking advice from anybody in your world about anything that's going on with you. You're going to give a different level of regard or respect um, to advice you might get from your mother versus your best friend versus 
an expert in the situation or in, 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 the, in that situation, the, just because it's non-physical does not mean that oh, I'm channeling that must mean it, make, make it divine. <laughs> we, right? we're, <laughs> we're dialing up the phone and many people are answering. We don't get to pick who we're channeling. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that is so great. That's and so important to keep in mind. So as we begin to close, uh, here's the pop question. So I end all my interviews with a question from the Proust questionnaire. Marcel Proust, of course, the uh, I know French that essayist. Yeah. We love him. Vanity Fair keeps him alive for me. Uh, oh, I don't know that. Okay. <laughs> so the question is: What do you, Johnny, consider perfect happiness? You know, I'm a believer that happiness is a moving target. Mm. And if you're going to be chasing happiness, you're going to be chasing your emotions up and down and up and down because that is how our emotions go. They are not static. They never are static. Remember, Earth is an emotional planet. So um, chasing happiness is chasing a moving target. It's a dog chasing its tail. Mm. I would elevate what you're chasing. I would elevate what your intention is. Personally, um, I would, uh, I'm open for meaning rather than happiness. Um, my, w- w- the actual question you asked, re- re- phrase it again for me, Carmen, because I want to make sure I get the wording correct. What do you consider perfect happiness? So I would consider perfect happiness the continual evolving, the continual integration of which will look like you are getting meaning, you are getting your aha, you are connecting the dots, you are feeling on purpose, on track, on path, as we would say. Mm-hmm. Now, that will come in and out. As I said, it's a moving target. I love that. I, it's so great. This, this is why you're my teacher. I actually recently gave a speech in which I said, what uh, I, I commented, what an almost absurdly superficial understanding of life is it to believe that the meaning of life is to be happy. The meaning of life is not to be happy. It's to make life <laughs> meaningful. And what makes life meaningful is a willingness to experience the entire breadth and depth that it's offering you. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, as soon as you started speaking and said, it's about the integration of meaning. My whole body just had a, a, a wave of tingles because uh, that's what my body does when it hears truth. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your truth and your wisdom today, Johnny. This has been just a really lovely and meaningful conversation for me. Oh, Carmen, it's been an honor for me. Thank you so much. Isn't she fabulous? I love connecting with Johnny. Her energy is just so vibrant and radiant. And I couldn't agree with her more that really the key to expanding consciousness and uh, if you're somebody who's interested in learning how to channel, it's about daily meditation, emptying yourself out and connecting with the essence. Today's show notes can be found on my blog at carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. And that's where you'll find links to learn more about today's topic and my guest, Johnny Gray. 
Oh, I'm so glad. I want to thank Johnny again for being here. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate your review on iTunes. And please share it far and wide so it can reach more seekers just like you. You never know who really needs to hear it right now. If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, and click the link for The Numinous School, my online intuition development course. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download, and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.